0: Hi, everyone. This is Mark Thurman, back again, uh, recording a podcast in support of uh, Amazon Web Services, IoT, and the AWS Innovators Series. We're holding a second in the series uh, event in uh, San Francisco, Friday, July 13th, 8.30 in the morning. Contact us if you want to get uh, more info or, or get an invitation. I'm really pleased to have the team from Open Systems on the phone. I've got Jim and Aaron. I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves and talk a little bit more about
1: the company. Jim? Hello, everyone. Uh, This is Jim Vandermeer, and I am the Chief Innovation Officer and one of the company co-founders here at OST and responsible for executive leadership for
2: our um, Connected Products team. Aaron? Yeah. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Aaron Campice. I'm the practice lead of our Connected Products team at, at OST. We we help customers who want to connect their durable goods uh, with you know, digital applications in the cloud.
0: Excellent. Welcome to you both. I note from your website that you guys have been around since 1997, and you're in the lovely, lovely town of Grand Rapids, Michigan. 97 um, is a long time, I know those of us in the IoT or M2M world know that, the, uh, that history didn't just start in 2001 or whatever. Um, I believe the term IoT or Internet of Things emerged from the MIT Media Lab in 1999. But in 97, what did you guys start out doing? I don't know if you either were uh, so, there even. Yeah, so in
1: 1997, we were um, a traditional uh, IT services company uh, providing um, enterprise data center products and services. And uh, as we developed, in 2008, we acquired an application development competency. And then um, about eight years ago, we did, we did our first global IoT project uh, that Aaron led. And then uh, two years ago, we finalized the acquisition of a human-centered design firm and then merged with them. And that became our open digital team, which has uh, been highly advantageous for us in the IoT space because we now have industrial designers, human-centered designers, um, and people who focus on building out the products and services as well as um, the people who develop the mobile and platform tools that uh, IoT is dependent upon.
0: Excellent. I also note from your website, and I'm doing what you're not supposed to do when you run a podcast. I'm actually reading someone's website. Uh, You guys had a Y2K (laughs) business I, I just I, I love that whole Y2K time period. Of course, I'm showing my own vintage, but um, it, it's really great to see on a website. I haven't seen that in a good 18 years. Um,
1: I can't believe we still have that on the website. So I'm, I'm a little embarrassed. Heads by will that, roll): so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I love it. So um, let's get into it a little bit. Um, I, I often contend that the term IOT.' is kind of a Rorschach test. So I guess I'd I'd ask uh, you guys, uh, either Aaron or Jim, what does the term IoT or Internet of Things mean to you? Jim?
1: Okay. So for us, the Internet of Things means fundamentally that we are creating um, a direct relationship with the thing or the user of the thing from which we can create new insights which then generate new value. So it's that direct communication to the device um, that is at the root of creating economic value from the Internet of Things. So the inference
0: there is is that the thing is connected, though, right, in some fashion? Yes. Okay. I think, Aaron, you were going to get something in?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, And, you know, for us it's about creating value and creating, you know, user experiences that really uh, are compelling to the user and want them to embrace the platform. And, you know, it's a blend of the physical the, and the digital um, uh, to drive some sort of value or insight that, that either um, uh, helps a person be more efficient whether they're trying to be more secure or, um, you know, st- uh, create a better experience for them. So I, we were talking
0: before uh, we started recording that, you know, certainly my view is that uh, IoT is relatively complex. Uh, there's a lot of moving pieces. There's networks. There's devices. Obviously, there's you know uh, global offerings or localized offerings. Uh, you know, a whole bunch of things. So you you effectively act uh, as it seems to me like the. Outsourced or the uh, experts that a big brand might bring in. Can you talk a little bit about what, when a a brand comes to OST, uh, what what do you do for them, and what are the kinds of conversations you have, and what are the competencies and the teams that you have to build between your company and the client?
2: You know, that's a that's a great question. Uh, you, for for us, and really it 's we meet the customer where they 're at um We have a pretty strong point of view on w- the competencies it takes the things that customers need to be thinking about uh uh to create a successful product uh and oftentimes our customers will have a combination of those, but not necessarily all of them, and we can fill those gaps uh sometimes it 's on the strategy side sometimes. Uh, user experience uh, considerations uh, uh, competency around building a, a, a cloud platform that integrates maybe it's digital whether it might be a mobile web or voice experience um, maybe it's running the platform so doing DevOps and support for the platform going forward uh, we we help them understand what it's required to be successful and then we'll come in and um, You know, deliver some or all of those uh, services um, uh, so that they uh, can get to market successfully. Do you want to? I think um... that the
1: the yeah. So the the traditional industrial company disciplines are around building products at scale, and they have great product development teams. They're used to going through stage gate mechanisms. They're also um, have may have embedded systems development people but they have never built a product that has a combination of a physical product interaction and a digital product interaction. And then when we add the additional interfaces of voice now, we call those fourth form interfaces where we have voice, web, mobile, and then the physical product interaction. And that's a fundamentally different set of competencies than simply building a physical product. And so creating this delightful user experience across all of the forms of the interfaces that we work with the product is something that our team does. And what's important is that you have to have that delightful user experience for the consumer to, to embrace the complexity and the cost and the security risks that they perceive for the connected product. And if you can, if you can create that great experience, then they're going to engage in the platform over time. And with the product over time, and then you're going to be able to drive the creation of data from which you can create new value back to the consumer as you create products and services based upon the data that's being generated from from the global population of users that are using that product. But it begins with an absolutely amazing user experience, which transcends the physical forms and the digital forms.
0: So how do you map the gaps that they have at their end, they being the the target or the client from your end. Uh, how do they, How do you map the gaps? So you guys are bringing something they don't have. They obviously have uh, domain expertise in whatever the appliance or the thing is that they're bringing to market. Is that one of the first conversations is, all right, here's what we do. What do you guys do?
1: It, that is one of the first conversations because what we find is, first of all, explain to us the, the value proposition for this product and your strategy that's associated with it, so we can instantiate that in the the platform and the the product development. Because um, we were working with a, a, a global appliance manufacturer, and they have decided that their most important value they're going to achieve from this product is by creating a deeper relationship with their customer and understanding their customer world better. But in order to do that, they want to focus on that first five minutes of using the product um, from the unboxing experience to the device registration. And so they're thinking very strategically now um, based upon that. And then everything is oriented around that. So, um, but then you need to, to look at the gaps in the organization. You have to look at the um, architecture knowledge, the DevOps knowledge that Aaron alluded to. And there's probably 10 different doma- dimensions of maturity that we've identified. And they run from just a simple awareness to being a data driven enterprise, and then being able to create products and services and systems around those things um, in order to realize the the aspiration that they have as an organization
0: it, uh, that must lead to some uncomfortable conversations, especially with a customer or customers that you're trying to actually partner with. How, how
2: do you guys handle that? <laughs> like you guys can't do um, that, can you? <laughs> <laughs> It, you really have to oh, sharpen boy. your yeah your consultative uh, skills very much right it's in, in, it, it, it's different with with every organization because they have their own culture and a way you right. uh, discuss uh, challenges and how you approach approach those challenges so we have to be pretty pretty agile and on our toes uh, in terms of we have a fairly clear uh, uh, in our mind what they should do uh, it's working them through that process uh so they they can understand and then we can also hear their point of view and adjust our um recommendations as as consultants to fit kind of what their needs and their priorities are and so it's a sometimes it's teaching sometimes it's uh listening um it's uh it's we 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 really uh we've uh evolved a lot in that just being consultants rather than just technicians.
0: So you don't use the phrase. And I think
2: that degree of empathy, (laughs) it it requires a high degree of empathy.
1: And and frankly, as a small company in Grand Rapids, Michigan, we're surrounded by companies that make things in the Midwest um, that are not digital natives. And so we've collaborated with um, some great um, people in the academic community that have um, brought a, a lot of Very mature understanding of what the organizational uh, transformation that has to occur as you're embracing digital product development. And we found that 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 teaching mindset that Aaron alluded to is critical. Um, So, non judgmental teaching and a high degree of empathy to help them through the process.
0: So, kind of along those lines, do you find yourselves doing workshops that are not specific to uh, a customer but maybe to a vertical? That are more academic, that are more sort of thought leadership within Western Michigan, or you know, I know you have offices in Detroit, and I read the website, uh, London, and everywhere else. But yep. do you find that is that sort of a method that you would use, or is it really one-on-one with the with the brand or the customer?
1: No, we've done educational workshops um, uh, in in partnership with um, with our OEM partners, as well as in in partnership with our academic partners. In Minneapolis just a few weeks ago, we we conducted one with Rob Siegel from Stanford's Graduate School of Business on the systems thinking that's necessary for uh, digital transformation in large enterprises. And um, Rob just finished teaching that that class this past semester at Stanford, and uh, he brought that knowledge to bear in partnership with OST to um, a community of companies in Minneapolis.
0: Oh, that's great. I I, I think
2: it's super. You have to do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the the other thing, though, that we find challenging in those public settings is, you know, these companies are considering or working through things that are on their product roadmap and their strategies. So understanding and having a public dialogue is uh, really important, especially if you can get peers in the room. But on the other hand, to to get in behind closed doors and actually have a deep conversation about the struggles about what their plans and hopes and wishes are it 's hard to get super specific, so we, we do a blend of both one you know public and 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 talking to a wide range of individuals, on the other hand, the one on one and getting right down to the really important things and the the, the, the things that are on their product roadmap. Uh, is really how we get to that that ne- next level with a with a company. No, I think that's true, and 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 you know
0: obviously we're being brought together by Amazon Web Services and their Innovators Series and the Innovators Event in um, in San Francisco specifically. But uh, and that's I think the intent is really to have um, you know a, an open airing of the issues, and um, I think customers or, or folks that are looking to have a deeper dive with somebody, you know, certainly we'll, we'll grab anybody and go off into a corner and set things up. But I think, you know, the more, especially with, you know, IoT to me is not a new thing, but it's it's really started to, uh, it's, it's entered everybody's mindset. Every, I think, relevant technology is becoming connected, has become connected. I did a, actually a, at MIT at the Connected Things um, uh, conference that I lead, I did a, um, an event, and we called it the Future Arrives, uh, and Dirk uh, Didaskalou from EWS was my keynote, and he noted at the end of the keynote that it shouldn't be the future arrives, uh, it should be the, the future arrived, past tense, so the future has already come, and I, I kind of see that with the, the progression you know the talk i 'll be giving in, in in San Francisco and I gave a similar one in New York is really around how the forecasts have accelerated the forecasts were off on the in terms of the numbers of connected things in some cases, the forecast has doubled, so more things are being connected uh, not only from the industrial and enterprise standpoint, but we 're finally seeing traction in the consumer and the home space, which is really what we 're hoping to talk about in a couple of weeks. Um, now before we uh recorded you know you kind of mentioned one thing in particular that caught my interest was a furniture company, and I know it 's more in the office space, but would you mind kind of sharing a little bit more about you know kind of this notion of, of connecting furniture because I think that has implications certainly in the home world, but um I think overall the 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 topic's very interesting
1: so uh, this particular project um, is a public reference with uh, Herman Miller, and it was their LiveOS platform, which is a, a smart uh, desk. Oh, it's a standing desk that has partnered with the Aeron chair um, that everyone's familiar with. It's the iconic oh, yeah. Herman Miller chair. And they uh, made the, the fabric in the chair a sensor platform. So they're able to identify if people are sitting in the chair Um, correctly from a posture standpoint. They can tell about the distribution of of weight in the chair. So are you perching? Are you slouching? And so it can give you these gentle nudges towards health. And we know that, that sitting too long is not good for you. And we know that standing too long is not good for you. And so your phone mates to the desk and keeps your personal preferences. So, It knows what height you like it when it's at the the normal standing height, if you sit down in the chair, the the desk is aware that you're now sitting, and so the desk will lower to your sitting preferred height. So there's, there's an interaction between the desk, a proximity sensor in the desk, the chair, so if you walk away from the desk when you're standing up and aren't sitting down, it doesn't lower down. So it creates this really delightful interaction pattern between the desk and the chair and the person and the phone, and that could affect your interaction with your one working environment. But then in the larger office environment, it can keep track of where you are so that your coworkers can say, oh, Jim is working at this desk today. And then you can also start creating interesting metrics about utilization of the office environment. Are there places that people prefer to work? Are there places that people work because of who they're around. And so it's creating really remarkable insights into the human behavior in the workplace that is going to be able to create a more dynamic work environment, which they've called living office at Herman Miller. But it starts with the great interaction between the the person and the desk so that they're engaged in using the digital platform. Is it predicated on the person always having their
0: mobile phone with them? Is that how it's doing the proximity, or or is the – furniture networked to you know something, you know, in the cloud or, or a server in the office first.
2: It you uh, know, there's part of the 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 experience degrades, I would that's how I would describe it. So your personalization in terms of who you are, what your preferences are, uh where are you, that you know, in some ways you're Your phone has become the digital you, right? So you're checking into this desk, and it knows who you are and what your preferences are. Um, There's other parts of the experience and the equipment that gracefully uh, degrade, if you would, to you can still interact with the furniture even though you're not checked in. Um, The funny thing is that this whole uh, ecosystem, in some ways, is making your desk and your chair wearable. (laughs) That's interesting.
0: I mean, obviously, there. Um, I could see some listeners going, "Gosh, there's some privacy issues there, especially with the GDPR rulings and bringing that to everybody's mindset." But I'm not sure if um, not sure if that's relevant in this setting. Well, it would be in the if
2: it was a EU sale, I it, suppose. It is. Well, it is we, very, very relevant. It is the, yeah. yeah, it is in the EU, and so. Also- um, okay.
1: So so the the there is personal information but we we de-identify the personal information when it's presented to the facility team or the the building owner, but your interfa- information is highly personalized when you are interacting with your own workspace. So the degree of de-identification increases as you move from the um, person at the desk to the facility manager who's overseeing a fleet of tasks versus the OEM who has seen all of the interactions. So that was a very, dis, um, uh, a very thoughtful decision because in order to make the interaction great for the user, you have to have highly personal information. Um, right. but, you know, um, but they made decisions to not present certain t- uh, data sets that uh, they could have. And
0: and again, you know, not to perseverate on how it connects. So I understand the the, the phone and the preference, and that's my my digital identity. Uh, if many people are using, the, say, it's a conference room, um, are they aggregating all the information, all the data from individual phones because they've checked in, or is the conference room itself networked? Uh, and talking to the furniture as well, especially yes. from a utilization standpoint.
2: Both, both. Okay. So the furniture itself are connected, and they actually are talking to each other. So the scenario that we've laid out there is there's gateways that, okay, uh, and then we're using Bluetooth Mesh for the the equipment. They talk to each other, and then the phones are connected to the cloud directly, and they also can connect to to the durables. Um, so it's, it's every, yes.
0: Can I reserve a seat then and say, Hey, I want to sit here, but I want my favorite chair. <laughs> Not a serious that's, question.
1: That's <laughs> that's the kind of personalization that we're moving towards
2: in, uh, in the office environment. And then that's it. the type of in, in, insights that, you know, because think about these different personas, you have, uh, you have office workers who, Who want to carry their profile with them and hotel around, and they want the convenience of the interaction of that equipment. Uh, You have um, sometimes health managers in in their in their space that want to make sure that their employees who are Aren't sanitary. They're not trying to. They're not creating health issues because of uh, repetitive uh, tasks at their desk. So they want to drive a healthy lifestyle. And then you have uh, property owners and asset owners who want to make sure that they're getting great utilization out of um, out of that equipment. And so those having all those different value propositions are absolutely required. You want people that uh, want to use the equipment. Uh, you value for the um, health managers. so They want a healthy workforce and value to the property and asset owners. They want that equipment to be highly utilized. And it's all it, working together in a single yeah, it system.
0: It makes perfect sense. And OST's role in all this, uh, to the extent that you can talk about it, um, was what? You deployed the technology. You made technology recommendations. You... Ooh. Uh, or a sounding board.
2: Yep. Yep. All, all, all of those things. All that, of those things. You sites. know that. Yeah, absolutely. And and it is built on on the AWS IoT platform. It's uh, really helped us. Uh, Build and support a, a user experience that's a premium user experience. It's a great platform, and also in the earlier things we were talking about, the data protection and privacy. Um, there are things in our architecture supported by the AWS plat- services um, that allowed us to um, deploy the solution even in uh, with GDPR and as well as the very sensitive information, uh, environments that this equipment is deployed into.
0: Oh, I think that that that's actually a great use case. It's uh, you know obviously it's a recognizable brand. Um, if I had a dollar for every time I sat in an Aeron chair, I'd have uh, thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm not sitting in one now, but I should fix that. Let's um, let's kind of pivot slightly. Um, you know, we were talking about you know connected home, uh, and I know we kind of talked briefly prior to this uh, podcast around. You know, helping appliance manufacturers. Uh, I'll I'll admit my uh, prejudice when we talk about things at the uh, Connected Things Forum uh, out here in Boston. You know, we kind of use connected toaster as a pejorative. It's a sort of a yeah, ha ha. You're going to connect your toaster. Um, and I know there are actually connected toasters. I just think they're of limited value personally. Um, what's a connected? What's a connected appliance strategy that, that you can talk about? And, you know, again, I, you may not be able to reference specific brands, but maybe uh, a,
1: a discussion or, or a deployment that, you, that you'd care to share. I think we can talk about um, uh, our partnership with Amway. Um, this is a, another publicly referenceable um, AWS case study. And Amway, which is a, a multi-level marketing company, um, has a significant um, uh, Presence in uh, the durable space, interestingly enough, and they have a home air purification unit called the Atmosphere Sky unit, and the um, and so there are uh, removable um, filters that are that are time. So there's a, after a certain number of operating hours, those filters have to be cleaned. Um, and and as well as there are some some carbon filters that have to be replaced to maintain the optimal uh, use of the product. And um, what they were able to do is, by having RFID tags in the filters, by having um, airflow monitoring, they can actually make the recommendation to say um, the filter is now in need of replacement. And you can, uh, via your mobile app, um, fulfill that uh, as an e-commerce transaction. Um, It's linked to your uh, customer ID within the Amway ecosystem. And you can buy that. And then as you maintain the product correctly, and this is a really interesting value proposition for Amway, is they actually extend the customer warranty if you maintain the device correctly. So they will give you a longer warranty period if you're replacing the filters and you're maintaining the product. And because they can because the, the system is it's a smart connected air filtration unit. They know, and you know that the device has been maintained correctly. So it provides value to the consumer. It provides for higher convenience and main, maintaining the device and it can provide a quantified benefit where it says this is what your air quality was like before using the filter and here's what your air quality is like after the fil- use of the filter and so it supports the claims of the product and so the claims of the product are are uh, instantiated through the mo- through the device and the mobile app and it uh, provides for a better consumer experience as well
0: uh, it's, it, uh, and I did, again, I broke my cardinal rule of not looking at a web page during a, a podcast. So it's interesting. I, I, I looked it up, um, or I'm looking at it now. connects over Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, and the comes with a two-year warranty and up to five years of additional limited warranty when filters are
1: replaced on time. I've never heard of that. That's actually kind of cool. That is. And it required um, a services uh innovation, and this, and this is an important part to think about with uh, creating a, uh, an IoT product, is that you as an organization that makes this thing may have to do a services innovation to take advantage of the, of the digitally enabled product. And so you're innovating on your services front at the same time you're innovating on your product front in order to create the maximum value from the product. And I think that and, and Amway was very successfully able to do that to create um an interesting new value proposition for for their uh, their, their atmosphere unit it's, it's it's very cool i mean it it's a relatively
0: uh, expensive unit i guess um so to be yes. able to add value by you know encouraging people to properly maintain it is is actually a really cool thought make it last longer et cetera that's kind of cool um In terms of, you know, again, I'm I'm a networks guy, so forgive the the upcoming question, but uh, I would contend, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that, uh, you know, a connected thing, by the way, infers that you're connecting to some sort of network, and I would contend that that's a difficult thing that adds to complexity, whether it's a cell, uh, cellular communication, you know, 3G, 4G, uh, or Wi-Fi, or any of the other uh, network technologies, how do you help uh, uh, potential customers or customers uh, decide on how to connect the thing, where to connect the thing, and uh, you know what uh, what 's the strategy around baking connectivity in
2: that's a that 's a really good um, really good question and it, it, it's there's so many dimensions to to r- arriving at the right answer, you know, um, some of our customers um, uh, have to create something. They go into secure areas, and uh, in, in adding connectivity on an existing network is not possible. So, some it, it it's, it's it can become a provisioning issue. Uh, you're not going to put that piece of equipment in this really secure area and connect to a you know a financial transaction network to get. Get connectivity out to the cloud. It's not going to happen. Okay. Well, let's start with that. How do we How do we get out uh, Get out of there? Sometimes it's a power concern. Uh, think about those desks and those chairs. Um, those chairs can't be plugged into the wall. They have batteries. So yeah. then, you're not. You're. It's a. You're not going to connect that directly to the internet and have. You're going to be using some low power pro. In this case, it's. Um, Uh, Bluetooth uh, mesh, right? But then you get into power budgets, like how often do you transfer how much data for what value? And that's actually as a a company that's been through this many, many, many times. um, Oftentimes, if we're in a technical conversation at least, that's one of the best places where we can add value with a customer. Like we've helped customers... um, Transform their data strategy, uh, how they move what data around, when, how often. Um, one customer, we in a pre-sales motion, we save them a million a year, year over year in consumption and um, cellular costs uh, by giving them a different approach on how you move data around between the thing and the person and the cloud and the digital device. That's real money. Uh, in, yeah, well, it, what it did is they they couldn't get it past their business case. It was too expensive operationally to run the platform until they figured that that out. That's always, and again, coming from the telco
0: side, that was always part of the discussion. It's, oh, it's so much, you know, it's a lot of money. The reality, at least on the sell side, is that, um, uh, you know, IoT cellular service has gone down, Significantly, many orders of magnitude, it, but the the data budget that a, a systems engineer still talks to the customer about from a you know a telco standpoint it, it, much to the surprise i 'm sure of anybody listening they're trying to help the customer reduce the data use, the same conversation you you just related they're actually coming in saying, "I can help you make your bill cheaper and, in, and make your data use." Uh, more efficient, and that I don't care what the network is. That's still very important, um, you know. And again, I, I think you're right. Earlier, uh, uh, the use case or the business case was problematic when you had expensive, you know, carriage costs. So it's it's, it's interesting to see how that's changed and how that's playing out.
2: Well, even it, it, it transmits, so you've got power budget. So yep. you know the batteries and the equipment and processing. You've got communication budget, um, so you cross your networks, cell networks, etc. Uh, also, you know, a global connected products platform um, generally is based on top of a consumption-based architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, most of our customers, if not all, um, are building these solutions in the cloud. So, the more data you transmit, the more you have to process more data intense the the bigger their monthly bill's going to be yeah and of course. so they have to look at i mean it, it it's at all these different layers and and it, all of this affects their their business case
0: no i i think yeah it's 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 an intelligent conversation that must be had you know with anybody building out a a, a new connected offering um the, sort of the the related or the 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 uh yeah the related uh, conversation is who's doing what with the data you know there's i think several data streams that come from a connected thing It's the customer data or the you know the as we described with the uh um, herman miller use case there's also the data on the actual thing so you see that a lot in connected medical devices where there's patient data and then there's how is my how is my medical device operating um and they're separate flows in many cases, how do you deal with this sort of, not only the, the overall privacy, but the, uh, you know, I get asked a lot about data monetization. I'm assuming you guys don't monetize the data because you're acting as a, uh, an extension to the brand. You know, you're a partner to Amway, you're a partner to uh, Herman Miller uh, as examples. But uh, what happens around the data monetization and privacy conversations?
2: Yes, those are.
1: No. Go ahead, Eric. Okay, no, nope, you got it. Okay. So, so um, one of our customers um, is in the transportation industry, and what you find is that you start off with command and control and a basic. Um, the basic data that's necessary to uh, for the user of the thing and the fleet the fleet manager in this particular case, and then as the data increased in volume, they found more and more relevancy, and then more and more opportunities. And so you start creating a, a discipline, and this is a this is a really interesting um, discipline that organizations have to begin thinking about is. There is no one in a traditional company who is thinking about the creation of new products and services based on data or based on monetizing data. That's a a new discipline. It's a discipline that digital native companies, um, the internet scale companies, the the social media companies, their their basic business proposition is about getting enough users in order to collect data from which they can create monetization streams. That's not a discipline in industrial companies and in product companies. So that's something that we think that, that um, you create critical mass of data and then you start investing with your data scientists and your analysts in conjunction with the uh, critical business stakeholders in the marketing department and the product development department. And and it takes a few years probably from the initial um, launch of the product to begin um, leveraging the data in that kind of creative way. But if if people can conceptualize that through proof of value exercise, then, and, and this is a, a, an important side point, is you actually build the product to create the data that you can then monetize in an interesting way um, as opposed to making it an afterthought. And So that's part of the design activities that we go through is what is the business value proposition we're trying to create? What's a what is an aspirational goal we have, and make sure that the engineering team isn't isn't being so efficient on the chipset, and so efficient with the embedded software, and so efficient with the communication, and and uh, data budget, that they're missing an opportunity to collect really interesting data that's going to create future value.
0: Uh, it makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense.
2: So to um, riff on that. Yep. Just to riff on that just a little bit more, and how this applies back to the the home IoT market is there a lot of our customers are out there thinking about what their strategy is? Do they do they participate in a larger IoT ecosystem, and in, in, in strictly do that? As, you know, check the checkbox, get a get a good command and control scenario in a larger ecosystem. I mean, we can name the different ones that are out there. And, and call it good, right? But if they do that, you're going you're to simplify your IoT strategy, but you're also missing out on all these other great things and potential that that Jim was just talking about, which is you, you don't really have access to the data. You're not going to drive deeper insights. And sometimes th- that answer is okay, but they need to go in – eyes wide open, because sometimes our customers are like, well, we don't want to build it. We just want to connect because that's easier. Okay, it's easier, but here's the real trade-off you're making from a strategic perspective. And if you're you're making that decision consciously as an organization, that's okay, but make it consciously.
0: No, it's an important set of conversations to have. Um, You know, we used to call it standards plus. Uh, way back when at a company I worked for, so you could ad- adhere to the standards that whatever ecosystem you 're playing in or ecosystems you 're playing in because a lot of folks on the on the home space will jump into apple 's ecosystem or amazon 's ecosystem or you know google 's e- ecosystem, but then it 's also having a an enhanced version above that, and i 've seen that a, a bit i uh, Are you finding that that um, uh, companies that you guys are, are working with want to be a member of all three or several you know, popular consumer-oriented
2: ecosystems? A- a- absolutely. Um, absolutely. And just kind of in a broader context, we're not seeing the the whole IoT ecosystems um, converging. We're not seeing a leader emerging where people are batting on one. They're batting on many. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, and that's not necessarily a bad strategy. Uh, you know, as an, an example of this is, you know, a lot of our solutions have their own IoT eco- ecosystem that they've set up, Intermatic is an example of this. Uh, but they also uh, are, have Alexa skills, so that they have that other um, digital experience that they can add to that, as well as their own mobile experience. No, I think it makes. Uh, and and okay, I you, think start it making, you start making start making a
0: decision. Then do I want to add, you know, Alexa voice control or, or or something else? So that becomes join that aspect of that ecosystem. Is that right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, okay, Jim. You were going and, to say something. Too. And it's also the the um, the the transition and the maturity of the maturation of the market, um, moving from what I would call the hobbyist value. Um, Which, or someone is um, is using if this then that, or they're 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 the tinkerer market, and it's moving into the the value market. So um, you know, I my wife is frustrated with the number of digital devices I have in my home that that have incomplete documentation associated with them. So so the whether it's our sprinkler or our lighting controls or security systems, she feels that like she can't fully operate our home, um, and and so there's a a, a degree to which um, we have to be designing for people beyond the hobbyist market if we're going to have mass adoption.
0: I, no, I think you're you're exactly right, and I think this kind of you know brings us to perhaps the parting shots on where you both see consumer iot or or home iot going and then and then we'll uh mercifully end the podcast just so uh our our our, our listeners can can do something else with their day but uh aaron i'll start with you kind of parting shots where do you see this thing going
2: uh you know i i think you're just going to see the market uh fragmentation continue there's going to be more and more people that are jumping in um uh, IoT is becoming easier and easier to do and we're not seeing a clear winner in the platforms. So in some ways, it's good news for the consumers and good news for uh, the producers of these goods. There's a, The market's just getting wider. The expectation's broadening. Uh, and, and people are going to be able to select the platforms and the products they want across the broad spectrum. And we're seeing... A lot of integration happened because of that. You can you can get, you know, product A, it has its own experience, but it integrates with five other products very consistently. You're seeing leaders do that. Okay. Aaron, thanks. Jim, parting shot.
1: I think, as I just alluded to, that we're going to be moving from the hobbyist market to a broader adoption. And the... Um, more sophisticated companies are going to be thinking about the, the nuanced value propositions that they're creating through the digital experience of their products. So things like that extended warranty that we alluded to with Amway, um, or how do we create delightful interactions, or how do we create additional senses of safety or security, um, but moving beyond the technology, because I simply can do that, your connected toaster analogy, to something that provides a uh, profoundly compelling value proposition to the consumer so that they will be willing to pay for the premium product and, and the complexity and the cost associated with connectivity. And and I think that we're we're just on the cusp of that right now. Um, and I think that the, the voice integrations um, with... Amazon and Google and Apple, and the new interaction patterns that are being created by that are going to be driving some of those those new consumer value propositions. Excellent, excellent.
0: Well, I think that's that's probably a good point to uh, set this thing down. Uh, Aaron and Jim from OST, I really want to thank you for your time and on behalf of the uh, the the listening, the general listening public, I appreciate your insights. for those listening to this before July thirteenth, 2018, um, please, uh, please contact us somehow. You can uh, contact me on Twitter, Adam Thurman, or your uh, AWS rep. Uh, we're hosting uh, the second in our series of AWS Innovators event at the Loft in San Francisco on Market Street, and uh, we'd love to have business decision makers attend and participate, so Thanks to all, and um, Jim and Aaron, thanks again. Thank
2: Thank you. you. Thank you.